Can't recall having sunshine on my face, and all I feel is pain. And all I wanna do is walk out of this place. But when I am stuck and I can't move, when I don't know what I should do, when I wonder if I live. Gotta keep singing. I gotta keep praising your name. You're the one that's keeping my heart beating. I gotta keep singing. I gotta keep praising your name. And that's the only way that I find healing. Can I climb up in your lap? I don't wanna leave. Jesus, sing over me. I gotta keep singing. Can I climb up in your lap? I don't wanna leave. Jesus, sing over me. Oh, you're everything I need. And I gotta keep singing. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So glad to see everyone here. We're going to call everyone in from the cafe, ask you to come on in and begin to get ready for worship. I'm glad to see so many faces here this morning. I was a little concerned with time change, but isn't it wonderful that our phones take care of it for us? We don't have to worry about our alarm clock being messed up. I'm thankful for that. So if you would stand with me. We will begin our service together. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift his name. And this is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Whether the sun will shine, whether the skies will 
today. Come and sing your praise, for the Lord now reigns on the throne of grace. Sing every day, and you bring us home, and we have this hope, for we are his own. This is the day, come and sing your praise, for the Lord pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we can count on you to raise the sun every day. That you put new breath in our lungs when we wake up because you have purpose for us today. I thank you for what you're going to do in this service, in our hearts, in our minds. How you're going to bury your word in us. And then you're going to grow it and you're going to bring fruit from it. Lord, I thank you for joy in you that no matter what's going on, we can have joy in you. And I'm so grateful that there's no reason to fear because you have conquered it all. Thank you for this season leading to the cross, Jesus. I pray we'll keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on you and what you've done for us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being here in the midst of our worship, Jesus. I pray that what we bring to the altar to you today will be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that you will just move up and down these aisles, that you'll, your Holy Spirit will be free to move here, Jesus. We love you, and we thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. And thank you for being here. And all God's people said, amen. Would you turn to one another and greet each other and welcome each other here today?
Okay. Hey, good to be in God's house today. Get those last handshakes and hugs in and have a seat. We love Sunday mornings around here, but that's not all that's a part of the life and ministry of uh, Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. We've got a few glimpses of what happens outside of Sunday morning around here, including a video. We got that video and sound queued up. We've got some new celebrities at WP Naz. 23 Woodland Park, Colorado. Grand Marshals. They come out here and look at this. Mike and Mary McNeil. Yeah. Driving Bill and Nancy Springston's, well, not driving, riding in. Hey, hey, they're great folks. Isn't that good? Give it up for the McNallys. I think we've got one picture of them as well, and uh, real privilege to have them uh, represent the community on St. Patrick's Day Parade there. Here's a few other pictures that let you know what, what's going on around here. Small groups are in uh, uh, full service, and there's a Sunday night group. Does anyone else notice that Cyril is the only one with food in front of him? And that's... This past Friday night, we started Open Gym Basketball. This is for any of you plus your friends. There are the four plus Henry that came Friday night. I tell you what, we need a few more. Two-on-two two full court is exhausting. But basketball every Friday night in March we continue to have some folks that volunteer up at Cheryl Birch's Pioneer Store in Cripple Creek. And there's uh, two of our ladies and two other friends, and appreciate that great ministry that provides uh, low-cost or no-cost gifts for uh, kids that need, uh, need that. Then had a great time uh, over at the Hops yesterday, our prime timers, uh, St. Patrick's Day edition. And there are our hosts in all their glory. Great time together. Appreciate them. And then, as has been our custom here for months, a couple grandkids to show off. Patricia Thomas has a beautiful granddaughter. That's next. There she is. Oh, my goodness. She's a beauty. And I got to spend the week with my granddaughter, and here's a shot of our time together. There you go. Love our grandkids. Let's be praying for them and our great-grandkids and our kids. Amen. Most of all, that they come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior and live their life with Him and for Him. So lots of good information in that uh, bulletin of yours. You've got connection cards in there, too. Any prayer requests, we'd love to receive that. You've got pens on the back of your chairs now. Did you notice that as of last Sunday? Thanks to those that put those pockets on. And uh, you can put those connection cards in the offering plate as they come around. So I want all the kids to come up here with me. And I'm going to tell them why I'm dressed the way I'm dressed this morning before we let them go off to kids' church. So come on up here. Let's do a, let's do a, I'm just going to move this temporarily. Put that back. Come on up here. Unless I'm just scaring you half to death. Am I scaring anybody? You guys all like clowns, okay? Okay, sit down right here. This will be a quick story. So why am I dressed up like a clown? I don't know. I know. When Kelly and I first got married, a long, long time ago, when we got to our first church in Gaithersburg, Maryland, we lived in an apartment complex, and we actually chose that apartment when we moved there because there were tons of kids around, and we wanted
wanted to reach out to those kids and their families. So we had what we called sunshine clubs in the playground area in that apartment complex, and we set up a puppet stage, and we played music on what we used to call a boom box. Anybody remember those days? And I dressed up like Bonkers the Clown. I was Bonkers the Clown. And we had those sunshine clubs, and we told them about Jesus and, and told them how much God loved them. And we had some games, and we had some snacks. And kids would come by the dozens. And we loved that time. And a few of them invited Jesus into their hearts. And as adults, they came to our church. And that was just a wonderful thing. And that always makes me think of a verse that Pastor Joel is going to be reading to us here, or at least a part of the passage he's going to be reading uh, for us here in a bit from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And in that passage, Paul said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. Even if it means dressing up like Bonkers the Clown. Or like a friend of mine that's here today, moving halfway around the world and maybe learning another language. You guys can probably win some by treating your friends or maybe those who aren't even your friends yet kindly. Making sure kids in school aren't bullied. Being respectful of your teachers and your parents at home. All of those things can help people see Jesus in us, and we might just win some that way. I've got a question for these guys this morning. What are you willing to do? Where are you willing to go to win some? Good segue to our message today later in the service. We love you guys. And we're going to let you go off with, who's waving the flag today? Miss Tracy, you guys have a great time in kids' church today. And there you have why I'm dressed like Bonkers the Clown. I'm not preaching this today. In fact, I'm going to take this nose off and uh, wig because I'd like to introduce a couple of uh, guests. While I'm doing that, Joel, you can come on up and get ready. We've got a couple of district superintendents in the crowd today, our own Dr. Virgil Askren, which we, we love and appreciate him. Amen? Right there he is. He's going to lead us in prayer. And he's brought a friend by the name of Bob Skinner. Bob, you want to stand and let's greet Bob. He's our current Rocky Mountain District superintendent. And you think Virgil has a, uh, a big area to cover. He covers Wyoming and Montana in his district superintendency. And before that, he was a missionary for the Church of the Nazarene in the Philippines. He knows Floyd Cunningham, who spoke here last summer. His mom made this soup for me, Eleanor Cunningham. And then he served 17 years in the Ukraine and uh, a number of years in Poland. So he's had a great, uh, great ministry career, and we appreciate both of these men. They remind me of how... Uh, how good a leadership team we have in our church, the larger church, and I appreciate that. I want to introduce or note somebody else this morning. I'd like Caitlin and Nick to stand. Caitlin is Cyril and Allison's uh, daughter. These guys, now keep standing, keep standing. 
did you guys know that these guys are engaged and they're getting married at the end of April? Yes, congratulations. I've been meaning to do that, and before you get out of here, we're going to pray for you too when we get closer to that wedding date, but I want you guys to know that Bob lives in Billings, Montana. That's where they're headed after their wedding, so you guys connect. Bob's got a couple of good churches to tell you about there. Okay, enough from me. Let's hear the word. Thank you, Joel. Thank you. I have the privilege of reading this morning. I am, um, one thing I figured out is I don't ever have to do the children's message because I'll never fit into that costume. So, <laughs> let's, let's read the word together. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like the Jews to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I was not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I was with the Gentiles who did not follow the Jewish laws, I too lived apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I did not ignore the law of God. I obeyed the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share in this, their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Would the ushers come at this time to receive our morning? Just a reminder, if you still have alabaster box, you're, you're, uh, you're welcome to bring that. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today, and as an act of worship, and in continuing in worship, we give back to you the portion of what you have provided for us. Father, take these tithes and offerings to the advancement of your kingdom, and, and uh, bless them. Whoa. 
Would you stand with me and we'll continue our time of worship.
you never gave up on me. You were my testimony. You never gave up on me. You never gave up on me. You were my testimony. story oh man I don't know what I would do without him I'm so glad to be rescued
And it's our privilege to come before that king and bring our celebration and our praise, bring our concerns, our hurts, and know that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. We are, we are a blessed people. And so as we go to prayer this morning, I want you to find a place that's most appropriate. It may be kneeling here at the altar. It may be to remain standing, maybe kneeling at your seat or sitting in your seat. But we want to approach the Lord and spend time in his presence in prayer. Uh, let's bow our heads for prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want you to know this morning how much we love you. And we are so grateful for the gift of, of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for the freedom from the power of sin and death through your spirit at work in our lives. We thank you for the promise of your presence with us. We thank you, Father, that daily we can be in your presence and, and that we know that you walk with us and you care about us and you provide for every need. And Father, thank you for the privilege of this place where we can come and rest in your presence. Lord, we want to thank you for the body of Christ this morning. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the ways that we recognize and see Jesus in each of them. And we thank you together how, how together we can make a difference in this world. We want to thank you, Lord, for our ladies up at Golden Bell, for the ministry, the women in ministry. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them, that you would give them rest and renewal, that, Father, you would speak to them about the things in their lives so they might come back equipped and ready to serve in new and powerful ways. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Ben and Pastor Kelly. Thank you for the way that they share the word of life with us. Not only in preaching and teaching, but just in the way that they minister to our needs day by day. We praise you for them, and we pray that you're, you would continue to sustain them and give them strength for each day. Father, we pray for the needs that are represented in this congregation. I pray for those who, who find themselves alone. Would you remind them that you are always with them? I pray, Father, for those who are going through difficult times physically, and would you be their strength, their healer? Father, for those of us who aren't sure what to do, and it may be regarding our finances, it may be the future, it it may be a neighbor, a friend, a family member, but we're just not sure. We thank you today that we come to our counselor and that you are the God of all wisdom and truth. And we rely on you and we need you today, Lord. Father, we thank you for the country in which we live. We surrender this place to you again. And we pray, God, that you would do a miracle in our country. We thank you for all that you've been doing and the way we hear of revival moving on college campuses and young people and, 
And Father, as the DS here in Colorado, we just pray that you do not, that you not bypass us, but that you pour your spirit out on us here in Colorado. God, you make a difference in our lives, that in those things that we need to surrender to you, in those places where we need to repent, we pray, God, that we might hear your spirit and be quick to respond so that we can be a part of the difference that you want to make in this world, in this community, in, in our country. Father, it is good to be in your house today. And we desire to hear your word. We want to be changed by your word. And so just now we give you all those other activities of this day and maybe even this coming week or perhaps the things on which our minds dwell from this past week and we give them all to you so that we can simply hear from you and be changed by the power of your word. Lord, make a difference in us. May we be more like Jesus. And we just finish this time together, Lord, by praying together the prayer that you taught your disciples. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Doc. In his praying, he reminds me this is the third Sunday in our Lenten season, and we're praying for revival. We're praying for renewal. We're praying for a fresh touch from God. And if there's anything that we need to turn from in any new and deeper way in which we need to turn to God, let's do it. Amen. That question uh, of Jesus to Bartimaeus lingers with me today that we took up last week. Looking into that uh, blind beggar's unseen eyes, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? And I believe he's still asking that question of us today, amen? And I think uh, Bartimaeus' answer is my answer. Lord, I want to see. I want to see him. I want to see myself. I want to see others the way Jesus sees them, amen? Good praying, Doc. Thank you. Well, if you have your Bibles or want to open those apps, Luke chapter 10, Luke's gospel chapter 10, here's my message this morning. Won't you be my neighbor? Okay, who used to say that? Mr. Rogers. Next slide, Fred McFeely Rogers. Most of the time you, uh, I don't know about you, I think of SNL skits and various ways that we tended to make a little fun of Mr. Rogers, but I admire him myself. Fred McFeely Rogers, born March 20, 1928, died in 2003. He was a Presbyterian minister, 
graduate of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He was from that part of the country. But after he graduated, Fred chose TV over pastoring a church. He was so disturbed by television and what was showing on television, and uh, this was the 50s, that he decided to go into TV to make something good of it. And as I've read that piece of his bio, I thought, how much like Jesus is that, who gave up the glories of heaven to uh, come into this sin-sick world of ours. And it got me to thinking, we can respond to the evil in the world and all that's going on by withdrawing from it, isolating, uh, sheltering in place, circling the wagon, or we can wade into it. Be the salt and light that Jesus asked us to be. Be in the world, but not of it, and make a difference. That's essentially what Fred Rogers did starting in 1951 until his death in 2003, most notably from 1968 until 2001 with his uh, program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He made a positive difference in the lives of thousands, if not millions, of children. And I remember the day uh, news of his passing came, and I felt genuinely sad, like the world the next day would be missing a good person that made a difference. Won't you be my neighbor? was Mr. Rogers' question to us each week. Jesus asked a similar question, more significant, I believe, and uh, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10. And the parable of the Good Samaritan to find out what that question was. The parable of the Good Samaritan might be the most well-known of all the parables that Jesus told. The phrase Good Samaritan is likely as widely known and used outside of uh, Christian circles as it is inside. Uh, one more way, I think, that the life of Jesus and the faith that he gave birth to has made the world a better place. Good Samaritan hospitals, Good Samaritan awards, and on the list goes. Good Samaritan has come to describe someone who happens to be at the right time, at the right place, who does the right or even heroic thing. Before we tell the parable, let's uh, look at what occasioned Jesus telling that now well-known story. So Luke chapter 10 at verse 25, and I'm going to have a little audience participation today, so be ready. Verse 25, Luke chapter 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to meet Jesus, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How would you answer that question if someone came up to test you today? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Must be born again. That's a good answer, Isaac. Anything else come to mind? Believe in Jesus. I'm going to stop right there because Jesus' response to this expert in the law is interesting, I think. He said something different to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and we'll get to that. At verse 26, let's see what Jesus says. He answered that expert in the law. Love the Lord your God. Ah, verse 26. Jesus asked the expert a question. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength 
and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Interesting. I go to John chapter 3, and that uh, born-again Isaac conversation that Jesus was having with that member of the Jewish ruling council that sought Jesus out at night, and in the context of that uh, you must be born again conversation, we get John 3.16, that beautiful uh, gospel in a nutshell, and I can just imagine Jesus leaning across the table and saying, Nick, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. Just believe. Thought about Jesus' answer here, and I wondered if Jesus isn't meeting the expert in the law where he was. Go back to that passage that Joel read for us, 1 Corinthians 9.20. Paul said, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. Maybe Jesus is doing something like that there. We faced off with this question a couple of weeks ago about the, the, the tension between faith and and saved by grace, and works. And here's how we resolve that. What we do is an outward sign of that inward grace that we've trusted. If you believe, you will love God and others. The Apostle John, 1 John 2, 9 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Let's go on. Verse 29. But he, the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? The expert in the law, it seems to me, wanted to nail down the minimum daily requirement. He wanted to narrow the scope, define the terms, specifically the term neighbor. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove that he was already doing that. I imagine at this point the disciples are grinning and looking at each other because I don't think you want to do that with Jesus. The teaching moment is teed up. Jesus is going to define neighbor all right and once again turn the tables on the experts. So that's the occasion for the parable, and now let's walk down through the parable itself and and you can uh, help me out here. Verse 30, in reply Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of thieves, robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. At verse 31, who happened to be coming down the road about this time? Anybody remember? A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So too a, who was the second person that came along? A Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now you may be thinking these are the very people that should have stopped, that should have helped, that should have done something. And if that's what us insiders who know this story uh, think, what about those on the outside of the faith hearing this story? They certainly would have believed the same thing. 
think it's worth pausing here and asking ourselves, what kind of witness do we, the church, have in this world, in the communities in which we find ourselves in, if we're passing by needs in our community, passing by on the other side? Somewhere along the line, I read or heard a great question about any of our churches. This is the question. If your church were gone, would the neighborhood or the community in which it now exists miss you? That's a great question. Why might the priest and the Levite have passed by on the other side? I'm going to take answers. What would have caused them to do that? People that should have stopped, we think, should have helped. Doc. That's true. Or been dead. And for a devout Jew, that would have been against the rules to approach and touch a corpse. Yeah, that's good. Or diseased. That's very good. What else comes to mind? Why might they have passed by? Kendra. Yeah, why not? Could be a couple of reasons for not getting involved. But yeah, they just maybe didn't care. Too busy. Had important things to do. Had a meeting to get to. A speaking engagement. Maybe a trap. Now that's a legit thing. They might have been afraid. These days, I think we would be especially cautious. And maybe it, times haven't changed. His own agenda, yeah, again, scheduled the day, uh, no margins for anything spontaneous. And I think those are all good answers. It may be that uh, didn't really care, could be behind a number of the others. They were just in a hurry. Well, verse 33, somebody else comes along. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. You might know this already, but Samaritans were not well-liked by Jews and would have been a most unlikely hero in any Jewish story. But that's what Jesus is teeing up right here. Verse 34, that Samaritan went to the man who had been robbed and beaten. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. That's a wow. The Samaritan's response was not only in stark contrast to the priest and to the Levite in the parable itself, But I'd suggest, in stark contrast to the expert in the law who's asking the question, who is my neighbor who was looking to justify himself? In the Samaritan, there seemed to be no need for knowing the minimum daily requirement. No requirement at all. No what's in it for me or need to earn anything or prove anything. Just a genuine regard for the well-being of another person with no regard for the cost to himself. 
the Good Samaritan. Verse 36, Jesus asked a probing, profound question to the expert in the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of the three was a neighbor to the man in need? Remember the expert's question? Who is my neighbor? So it's a different question, right? What's Jesus trying to accomplish there, do you think? It's a little bit tougher question, but he turns the tables, doesn't he? Harry says it makes the expert answer his own question. Jesus was always good about answering questions with questions. Anything else come to mind? What's Jesus trying to do there? Love and action. That's a good segue to what I think is the answer. He's trying to turn a religious man from asking the question, what do I need to do to get to heaven, to asking the question, who has God called me to be? Does that make sense? From trying to figure out just exactly what I need to do to recognizing who God is asking me to be. Perhaps uh, from minimum requirements to extravagant love, from, ooh, a yucky person, to compassion, it seems to me. Uh, Who is my neighbor? Who was a neighbor to the man in need? Verse 37, first part of that. The expert in the law replied to Jesus' question, the one who had mercy on him. Kind of would like to know what the expert in the law was thinking or feeling at that point. I'm thinking he he's realizing he's on the ropes. <laughs> the one who had mercy on on him. Mercy again, like Jesus showed to blind Bartimaeus, blind and begging beside the road, extending what Bartimaeus needed and was pleading for. Look back at verse 33 in this parable. The Samaritan took pity on the man. There's there's mercy again, compassion. I'm going to hit pause again. I think there's a general neglect of God's commands today, even in the church. And I'm thinking particularly of the things that God has asked us not to do. Even in the church, we're doing some of those things, accepting some of those things that God has asked us not to do, and that's to our detriment. But just as detrimental to the life and ministry and witness of the church is keeping the rules without a deep love for people that compels us to help those in need and to serve others. Are you hearing what I'm saying there? We need both. Who was a neighbor, Jesus asked. The one who had mercy, the expert replied. And then Jesus says to him, the end of verse 37, go and do likewise. Wonder if he did. Got three action items for you today. Here they are. 
Action item number one in light of this teaching, this story. First, get to know and reach out to your neighbors, literally the people who live next door. How do you do that? I know some of you have. What's a good way to get to know your neighbors? Shout out answers. A garage sale, yes. That's very good. That's, that might be the best thing that came out of that. What percentage of your stuff did you sell, by the way? That's good. Yeah, have a garage sale. That's fun. That's a high price. <laughs> Who else? Yeah, bring food to them or have them in. I think hospitality is a... Uh, What's the word I want? Thing of the past, a dying practice. I'm actually thinking about preaching about that next Sunday, Lord willing. Hospitality. So, yeah, that's a great way. Have them over. A bridge to ministry. Hospitality is? Yeah, absolutely. How else to get to know your neighbors? Say that again. Plop. Exactly. Help them out. And as you get to know them, you'll know what the needs are. Plow their driveway. Do something nice for them. Yeah, that's awesome. Get a rooster. That's it. I'm going to write that one down. And what, do they come over and say, would you keep that dad blame rooster quiet? Yeah, okay. That's good. How many walk in their neighborhood? Yeah, just get out and walk and pray for your neighbors. And when they're out, talk to them. That'd be crazy, right? Holiday time, bake them some cookies, take them over, little gifts. And there's all kinds of ways to get to know your neighbor. That's the first action item. Get to know and reach out to your neighbors, literally the people who live next door. Here's the uh, second action item. Be ready every day to be a neighbor to those you meet along the way who are in need. I've got a rule that I live by that if I'm in physical proximity to a, another human being, I will acknowledge their presence and say something to them. If that's passing on the sidewalk or... I may have told you this story before, but back home, and it's a fast-paced kind of uh, world in Montgomery County and that whole D.C. area, and uh, people don't often... I love it here in Woodland Park... When I'm walking down the road, did this this morning, walking my dog, people that drive by will wave at me. You do not get that in D.C. Uh, I was in the elevator, had been subpoenaed for some kind of trial and was going up to the seventh floor of the uh, county uh, courthouse and uh, everybody that came in the elevator, physical proximity, I acknowledged somebody. I said, good morning, how you doing? And pretty soon, about the fifth floor or something, somebody looked over at me and said, you're not from around here, are you? I said, no, I'm not. Often you won't know the needs that are out there unless you engage someone in conversation. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's amazing to me the kinds of things that people will share with you if you ask them how they're doing and genuinely care about the response. I mean, it's something else. I'm thinking back, and if Kelly were here, I'd have her tell the story of a lady she thought looked distraught in a CVS back home and sat down next to her and asked her if there was anything that she could do, and they sat there for another 30 minutes. She told 
Kelly her story, and she was having some tough times. Kelly had the opportunity to pray, and that, that happens 90% of the time when you just, it may not lead to a prayer meeting, but just asking people how they're doing, what's, what's up. Recognize what their name is. Ask them how you pronounce it, whatever it might be. Now, you don't want to get creepy. I know that. Freak them out. But you know what I'm saying? I was in Starbucks uh, in Kansas City waiting for a lunch appointment with Eddie Eastep. And uh, sitting there in the Starbucks with my laptop and my Bible on a little table between two nice, comfy chairs. And I was working on my sermon for today. And a young guy sat across from me uh, waiting for his drink. And I said, hey, how you doing? He said, good. How are you? I said, good. And I said, what's your name? He said, Hunter. What's yours, Ben? He says, what's this stuff? And he saw my Bible on the table. And I said, well, that's my Bible. And I'm a pastor. I'm working on my message for Sunday. He said, oh, yeah, what kind of church do you go to? I said, Church of the Nazarene. Oh, yeah. I said, do you have a church? And he said, well, we used to, but my family left the church. We don't go anymore. I said, well, here's your encouragement to get back to church. Then his drink was ready. He got up and left. What would God do with that, right? Physical proximity, acknowledge people, engage them, and maybe you'll, you'll earn a need that you can meet. In his book right here, right now, Everyday Mission by Everyday People, Alan Hirsch talks about the extras. In fact, I've got that book right here. Let me just read his opening paragraph. Meet the Extras is the chapter title of chapter 2. He says, all movies and television shows have them. They are peripheral to the real action and focus of the camera, which is on the star or main characters. And you don't know their names, backgrounds, or body of work. You've probably never seen them before. Most likely will never see them again. They are referred to as extras. Basically, they are human scenery. These are the people who sit at the tables in restaurant scenes looking as if they are chatting. They play the role of passers-by on the sidewalk and the ones who are felled or blown up in battle scenes. And in this chapter, he makes the case for that may be who God wants your life to intersect with this week to make a difference in them, to, to encourage them to share to show and tell the good news of the gospel, the, the extras in our lives. I love that uh, image. Beyond the spontaneous opportunities we have to be a neighbor, by joining ministries and organizations, we can be a neighbor that meets needs in the community. Uh, Cheryl, your pioneer store, which you actually began, correct? Uh, I think every time of Harry and the uh, rides he gives to seniors through the Senior Coalition, Jane King, all you outreach people are in the same row this morning and her work with the food pantry. And there are others here that are out there meeting real needs in this community in Jesus' name. So here's the third and final action item, and I'm going to wind down. You know, meet your neighbors, literally the people next door. Practice being a neighbor out there each and every day personally. And then third, be ready to participate with your church as we seek ways to love our neighborhood in the months ahead. I borrowed that phrase, love our neighborhood, from my uh, friend and former youth pastor and now lead pastor uh, back home. Uh, he's doing a great job of building on the good ministry we've had in the community back there in Gaithersburg and uh, really going the next step. He's getting ready to hire a couple staff people, a youth pastor, and then a second pastor that he's calling discipleship and mission pastor. And they're going to try to go to the next level in connecting 
their teaching ministry with the accomplishment of mission through that local church in their uh, community and world. I'll tell you what now, friends, if we're uh, spending decades in Sunday school classes and Bible studies and hearing sermons, and it's not translating into being the hands and feet of Jesus in our world, then something's missing. We've got a disconnect there, amen? What applies to us individually applies to us collectively. Our church in our life and ministry needs to learn to be a neighbor to those in need. Like each of us personally, our church should get to know our neighbors, literally the people that are in our neighborhood, where our building is located, where we gather for worship. Lots of homes in this neighborhood, a firehouse just down here, two campgrounds, a food pantry, core electric. Those are literally our neighbors. The Samaritan didn't just pass by on the other side. He went to him, the man in need. He went to him. There's that call. Remember the first three messages? year ago today, we landed here in Woodland Park. First three messages celebrated the three great calls of our life, to God, together, and then to go. And a lot of churches for decades have been doing fairly good with to God and together. But we're forgetting to go. We've got to go. The service doesn't end at 11.15 here this morning. It's just beginning. Amen? Yeah. Soon after we got here a year ago, we went through uh, an assessment process. You guys remember that? And we identified four areas that we needed to grow in. And then we had a follow-up assessment right before Christmas. I haven't shared the results of that. We will at some point. But you had four areas that uh, we needed to grow in. Effective structures. We needed some organization. Empowered leadership. We needed good leaders. Loving relationships and gift-oriented ministry. And guess what? You guys have come up in big ways in all four of those categories. That's a real tribute to you, your board, your leadership, your staff. Now with God's help, we need to work on need oriented evangelism we need to get outside these walls again and get out in the community and serve in jesus name we've laid some great groundwork uh thank you benita and uh barb and scott and kelly and others some great groundwork i think we know what the needs are in this community we know what the ministry organizations are that we can plug in with we know perhaps some that we need to start ourselves We need to follow through on that. Most of all, we need to ask God to give us a heart for lost people and for needy people. We need Christ's compassion, his mercy. We need to see people the way Jesus sees them. Amen? By all possible means, save some. We need to take advantage of things like Friday night basketball and a primetimer's lunch or pickleball or a vacation Bible school or a youth group to reach out to those that don't yet know Christ and don't yet have a church. I hear this stat every once in a while that uh, 80, 90% of people that a person would invite to a church service or event would come if asked. It's a high percentage. 
but only 2% of Christians ever invite anybody to their church. Two. I'm working with the board to make our facility available to meet needs in the community. We need to encourage each other to get out there and serve in the community. Organizing some ministry ourselves where there isn't enough or any at all. Meeting needs and responding to uh, people with compassion and mercy will give us the opportunity to show and tell the gospel and perhaps meet the greatest need that any of us have. That's the need of the saving grace of God provided for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Your new pastor will want to contribute to all that, I'm sure. But we can get started. We can get started on that now. Well, I'm going to have a worship team come back up. Uh, Lori's got a good song to end our service with. Mr. Rogers began every episode of his award-winning show with that question. Won't you be my neighbor? It was an invitation. Jesus' question is a bit different. Won't you be a neighbor? It's an invitation, too, to be a part of the good news, life-changing, difference-making kingdom that has come and that's advancing and that will come in its fullness one day. I want to be a part of that. Do you? Will you be a neighbor? There's the question for the day. Let's stand and sing.
to our kids workers that you've got a lunch meeting just down the hall uh, hope that's a great time for you guys god bless every one of you have a great week in here
the only one in church today feeling so small 